All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Insight Pints, the show where we have people from Alberta's political world have a quick drink with them and just talk about life, talk about politics and see what's going on in the world. Today, we're continuing with our municipal political series, and we're going a little bit north on the QE2. We're going back up to Edmonton. Uh, Our last episode was with uh, a Calgary candidate, and we're bringing in an Edmonton candidate today. And I'm very excited to bring on Cheryl Watson. How are you today? I am great. How are you, Aaron? Oh, I'm doing excellent. It is a Friday. It is a gorgeous day outside. It's not minus 30 anymore, so I cannot complain. And the Oilers are winning. That is another thing. (laughs) Right. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a while since we've been able to say that, so I'm going to enjoy it while it's here. Uh, so thank you very much for coming on. It's great to have you on. How's the uh, campaign experience been so far? Yeah, it's been incredible. I can't believe how generous people are with their time, with their ideas. With I've had so many people call me and uh, want to help people I've never met before. Um, it's it's been really fantastic so far. It's good. And that's sort of the thing that we've talked about with other guests on the podcast is just that when you're in Alberta, everybody, when you have an idea that you're behind, it's all in. It's no half-assing it or anything. We just go and we get right behind whatever we support. So it's great to hear about that. Uh, Before we get any further, tell me about what we're drinking today. Oh, yes. Well, I am a cider fan. And so I love to... um, support local as well. So who better than with Broken Spoke Cider? And so today I'm trying the Winter Rider. I have not had this one yet. And nice. uh, look at what a lovely color it is here. So Oh, that is nice. Pretty. I, uh, I picked up one as well. I don't have the can. It's the original. Uh, I just put it in the glass because I like to throw a little bit of ice with my ciders. I'm a big cider fan myself. So I was very excited when you said that we we're going to be bringing this one on. So thank you for the suggestion. Well, the original's in the tall can. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that sort of worked out very well. This is just a perfect <laughs> size glass to fit the entire one in. So it's a great way to end the week. So yeah. before we get going, cheers to you and thanks for coming on. Cheers. I feel like I missed my mouth. Oh, yummy. <laughs> no, that's really mm. nice. It's not it's not super dry, but it's not super sweet either. So it's that really nice blend right in the middle. Well, so, let's enjoy them together. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so Let's just get right into it because you're fairly new in the political scene here in Edmonton, and it's always nice to see new people jumping into the fray. Um, Doing a little bit of research into you, I mean, I realize that we've spoken before through the Insight into Government uh, publication, so thank you for that. But kind of going into your history, we're looking at some of the community experiences you've had. You've worked with the Zebra Child Protection Center. You've worked with the Edmonton Arts Council. You've done a lot. I realize it would probably take about half the podcast to list everything you've done. But uh, so... In addition to all that, I just kind of want to know, like, who's Cheryl Watson outside of the office? What do you do in the little free time that you probably have? Well, I I don't know if you know, but I am a born and raised Edmontonian. So I grew up in Beverly, very proud Northside girl, <laughs> and continue to love this city. And so some of the things that you talked about the work that I've done um, are in service to this city because um, we know that Edmonton is a community unlike many others. And it's one of the reasons that I chose Edmonton to continue to call my home, to raise a family here. Um, And so when I talked at the beginning about how kind and generous the community has been, it shouldn't be a surprise because you're right, that that is who Edmonton is at its heart. 
So what do I do outside of uh, what I'm doing right now? Well, there are not many moments or hours right <laughs> now where I am not spending time talking to people, but that's great because I love to do that. I'm married. Uh, my husband's name is Jeff. Uh, we have together, we are second time arounders. And so we each bring children from prior relationships. And so together we have four. <laughs> They are adults. They are off living their best lives right now or trying to live their best lives. They're all in uh, post-secondary. And uh, one of them actually lives in Australia. So it's been hard for us because uh, a good part of how we used to spend our time, I know like many, many others, uh, was traveling. And, and a lot of our travel meant that we would go over and visit visit our daughter there in Australia. So um you know, I, I am really committed to doing what I can in this city. And so for me, this this really is a gift that I get to spend all of my time talking to Edmontonians. And, and so again, right now, that's what I do outside of work. It's all about conversations. <laughs> well, and that's sort of the whole thing with politics too. It's not just the policy building and everything else. It really is relationship building because especially in the position that you're seeking with mayors, that it's not like provincial or federal politics where you have party lines that you have to toe. It's really a matter of you have a lot of people from different walks of life with different ideas trying to collaborate and get something done for the city. And those views can differ quite a bit. So, I mean, what's that been for you? I mean, you I know you've done a lot of work on different boards. So how do you uh, find you'll bring that collaborative nature in? Well, I think that that's really important. And so, especially as mayor, we need to create a city for all Edmontonians. And so when I think about the life experience or lived experiences that I have, and I talked about growing up in Beverly, um, I now live over in the West End of the city. I have adult children. Um, you know, I worked in tech, I worked in the economic space, but that's a very, very limited view. And so when you're thinking about the diversity of our community, the diversity of experiences, perspectives, upbringings, uh, beliefs, values, that's why my conversations right now are so important because uh, the job is meant to serve all Edmontonians. And so I definitely have brought a beginner's mind to all of this work, I really love that term. And it's it's really been um, the perfect opportunity for me to see the city through the eyes of others. And every day I'm shocked by something, surprised, delighted. Um, I want to go find out more about what they're telling me. And so um, that is why conversations are, are so important is because I need to be able to bring the perspectives of all. Well, and you sort of said something there I kind of want to touch on because you mentioned uh, the term beginner's mind and that you love mm -hmm. that. I know that someone listening to this without the context might think that, well, that just tells me that's inexperience. What does that term mean to you? Well, I think that we all create uh, bias, assumptions, and our own viewpoint based on uh, the frame of mind you're in, the situation that you're in. And so I don't want to bring bias to these conversations. And so that's what I think about a beginner's mind is, is really being deliberate with my curiosity as you are when you're a beginner, because you're mm -hmm. trying to learn something new, um, being curious. Um, and so 
that's, those are all the things that that means to me. And so I don't want to bring my bias or, or past experiences to these conversations. I try and ask a lot of questions. Why? Tell me more. What does that feel like um, in that moment? What happens? And so that's what I mean by a beginner's mind. Fair enough. And I realize you have a ton of experience within the business community, but perhaps it's also a benefit too going into the political realm with a little bit of less experience and being able to say, okay, why are we doing it this way? Instead of just saying, this is the way we've always done it. Well, that's exactly it. And so I do bring this benefit of external perspective, but I think that what's important as well to note is the last four years that I spent working at Edmonton Economic Development Corporation did give me a front row seat. And so I attended uh, city council meetings often. I worked directly with city admin. I worked directly with city council. And so as well, that... um, time that I spent really had me have the benefit of saying, is that what I want to do next? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how are my skills a match uh, for this role? Uh, why do I think that the mayor's seat is the right seat for me to um, to run for and to campaign for versus a city councilor seat? And so uh, while, while I bring that external perspective where I'm not saying this is why we've always done things, I have enough of a view into the way we, we manage our city that I do, I can ask Uh, questions in the right places and and right spaces. Well said. So I guess we'll do one more easy question, quote unquote, and we'll just say, why is now the time that you want to run? Because I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic. There's a lot of uncertainty in the world right now, especially within the economic sector here in Alberta. So why is this the time that you want to put your hat in the ring? Uh, for that very reason. And so I think that the experience that I bring both from 15 years working for a Fortune 500 uh, global organization into it, uh, combined with the four years that I brought working directly in the economic development space, uh, has the right mix of experience then to help our city move forward within this brand new economic uh, environment. And so we all, all of us, every order of government, every single organization, every business, every home, we are all looking at the way we spend our time uh, uh, with new eyes and new lens, the way we're spending our money, the things that are important to us aren't quite as important as, as they were. They don't look the same as they did a year ago. And so I, I'm really excited to be able to bring my, my eyes, my viewpoint, as well as my experience uh, to be able to ask those questions, to be able to help us to really narrow into what is the most important thing to Edmontonians and what's the value that they believe that they are receiving? Uh, you know, what is the right cost uh, for what they're receiving? And really viewing it with a, a, a customer lens. Fair enough. And I think that that's actually an interesting way of putting it too, because I, I apologize. I can't remember who said this to me off the top of my head, but someone who always sort of analogized the difference between the municipal and provincial and federal sides is that municipal is a lot of business, whereas provincial and federal is a lot more policy. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's policy and there's business involved in both, but it's sort of interesting that you raise it that way too, especially in the sense that within the municipal lens, it's very narrow, not narrow focus, I guess that's not the right way of putting it, but it's a different focus. 
So bringing that customer lens to, especially with all the different services and programming that cities do offer, uh, that's going to be interesting, especially with uh, cities not being able to run a deficit budget. Well, well, that's it exactly. And, and I, I do want to spend a little bit more time here with that customer lens because I view it. I view city services that way as a service. It's a fee for service. And so I think a lot about then we should have a really good understanding of the services that we receive. And so I'll just give a basic example. When you go to a restaurant, you look at a menu, you understand what you're ordering, you have a a good expectation of what you will receive in return. And at the end of it, you get a bill and you feel like you have within that moment, the ability to say, I feel like I got good value for this service for what I ordered. Should be the same with our city services. You should really understand then uh, what's being delivered to you and and why you're paying for it and, and why you're receiving it. And that's a great segue because I remember I was looking at your Twitter feed the other day and there was quite a bit of discussion around parking within Edmonton. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about that? Okay. Well, let me share that that the discussion that you heard was actually in relation to my newest policy that I announced that is the identification of a central business neighborhood in our city's core. And so really it's a suite of policies that I announced, a package of policies um, that really has five main themes. And so the first theme is making the business of business simple. And so when you think about licensing permits that the city provides for a fee, there should be a service level agreement that goes along with that, that says, uh, when you're going to hear from us, uh, when we will deliver the permit or the license. And, And so I talked about certain expectations then for the enabling services that the city provides to business owners. Um, The second aspect of the policy is around technology. And so no surprise there with my background uh, (laughs) in technology is really this recognition that data is almost the new power. And so how are we using Wi-Fi? Um, And so as well, how are we using uh, those kind of enabling technologies to perhaps test new ways of doing things in our downtown? The third thing is the idea of pathways to connect. And so no surprise, sidewalks, roads are a means of getting from one place to another. And so this pathways that connect concept is making sure that the pathways are easy to navigate, that they are not, uh, that the snow is removed from the pathways that we, when we're doing construction, that the detours are clear. So we're still able to get around. Um, The fourth is around integrated partnerships and really around making sure that um, we have a safe downtown here for uh, all all people that choose to come down, that live downtown, that are downtown, visiting downtown. And so within integrated partnerships is this concept of crisis and safety supports being provided. So my last one is in connection with what you just talked about, and it's transportation that serves the core. And so I talked about within that core central business neighborhood, there should be free LRT and bus so that you can hop on, hop off. When you're downtown, you should be able to get from one place to another, have lunch meetings, connections. That's why many of the people work downtown is because they want to be able to connect. They want to connect with other people. 
We also have a lot of great businesses and restaurants that are here downtown. And so the controversial topic was my proposal that we increase free parking on the street from free 30 minutes to free 60 minutes. And the idea of that is something that I observed and many of the businesses told me about downtown is that um, they hope that people there's that people that live outside of downtown still come and shop and dine here. And so how can we make that as easy as possible? And so I, um, how many times have you seen people pulling up in front of a restaurant, running and grabbing their skip the dishes? If we have a free one hour um, parking, wouldn't it be wonderful if they pop in, they grab something from Artworks downtown, they mosey on down the street and they pick up their dinner from Dawa. And so how does that increase from 30 minutes to 60 minutes allow for more interactions with businesses? There was the controversy. Controversy <laughs> is free parking downtown. And so really I was only talking about one form of parking, which is the street parking. And the proposal was an increase in the current free time frame. Okay, got it. So that's a good clarification for that. <laughs> I'm actually very happy you brought up the CBN because that is something I did want to talk to you about. And I think you actually mm. touched on most of the points I even wanted to get to. But so since you kind of addressed the entire policy already, um, one of the first thing we want to ask is I know that under the current administration, one of the things that they're looking at doing with city planning is integrating what they're calling the 15 minute communities in the mm -hmm. sense that you can get anywhere and do anything within your community within a 15 minute distance. So is this something that you foresee being able to integrate into that? Or when that time comes, would you sort of divert from that and go to a different city planning strategy? So this is in alignment with the city plan. And so the city plan has declared a central city neighborhood. It's a district that is much larger that contains residential housing. Um, and so really this is connected, related, absolutely. But it narrows the neighborhood a little bit more that says in that small core, which is 109th Street to 97th Street, um, 104th Avenue to 100th Avenue, that's where the biggest cluster and density of businesses is right now. So how do we really make sure that that economic hub, that economic center is really strong and powerful and healthy so that it can support the rest of the neighborhood, the rest of the city. Because we know as well that because of that density downtown, the core in that area actually is a big contributor to our taxes. So they're huge contributors. So again, we want to make sure that really healthy center there for them. Well, and it's cool to hear about that too, because I mean, we're talking about the revitalization of downtown. We've been talking about that for what seems like most of my life. Decades. Yes. And I, I know that we sort of really got started with the whole Rogers arena and bringing in ice district. And now we're talking about the CBN and talking about 15 minute districts. So I guess the question I have for you with that is, I think that's great, but what are we going to be doing to actually start bringing more businesses back? Because similar to Calgary, we are dealing with that high rise vacancy rate. So what are we doing to bring them back in? Mm. Well, there's many of them here, first of all, that need to stay here. And so um, the work, I'm also a member of the downtown recovery task force. Yes. And so we're a volunteer group of business owners, business leaders, city builders that are really focused on making sure that first, the ones that are here safely 
uh, and, and are able to recover, uh, that they survive, that they're here when we are able to come back. And so that's the very first thing I think that we need to think about. Um, and so I think we're starting from a really great base. I think that a lot of these principles um, and policy recommendations within the core central business neighborhood, many of them should also be applied um, in other areas of business improvement area as well. And so uh, back to your question about how do we get more businesses to come here, businesses that are being created, it needs to be as simple as possible for them to do that. For sure. And what will be interesting too, I think, because that's where we start to see a lot of interplay with the municipal and provincial government is because mm -hmm. obviously with the provincial government bringing down the corporate tax rate down to 8%, uh, a provincial election coming in two years, it's, I mean, it'd be nice. It's, we want to see that business certainty for people wanting to come in, but what do you, how, what's your feel with that? You're, you've probably got better uh, pulse on that than I do. Well, I'm, I'm hearing a lot of optimism uh, when we talk about our province and we talk about uh, our economy. And so I'm, um, that makes me happy. That makes me uh, feel like there's a lot of potential here. Uh, we have a lot of strengths in our city. I think that there's um, also something that we really need to think about as well in relation to our recovery, in relation to business creation, to business attraction even. We're in we're an academic and talent engine. When you think about nearly 10% of our population in this city is in post-secondary, that's incredible. And so we are a source of talent. We're a global hub for artificial intelligence and other technologies. And so I think back to, we have really got to lean in and play to our strengths and create the best possible environment here for those companies to grow. Fair enough. All right. So turning away from the business community a little bit and going right back to City Hall, uh, one of the things that we had seen on your platform when you posted about it was that you wanted to hire a chief accountability officer. And I'll let you speak a little bit more to that, but the kind of the Coles notes on it is they work outside of council. They'd be advising council based on whether or not council has done or has approached certain decisions before if they've explored it. And I guess, tell me a little bit more about that. What was your inspiration with it? Great. Well, first of all, uh, accountability is one of my own personal values, and it's something that really became important for me during my time at Intuit, when we would talk a lot about having a one-to-one say-do ratio. Basically, the concept of is, you say it, you better do it. <laughs> and so that's something that's really, really important for me. And so why don't I start there even from that concept of accountability at the core? We have just crafted and uh, published a new city plan. And that city plan involved years of work and thousands of people's perspectives. Um, it's important for us to be accountable for the things that we put in that city plan. And sometimes uh, we lose focus on connecting the decisions that we make to the plans that we make. And so job one of the chief accountability officer is to make sure that when we're making motions at council and making decisions, that the decisions we make are aligned with city plan basics. Second point is that I have sat through hundreds of hours of city council meetings and continue to watch them today. And where council has the ability then to bring forward ideas and to 
to direct city admin to go and investigate them. That's wonderful. Um, but that then kicks off a process of thousands of hours of city admin work. Yet often we've already actually investigated that before or someone else has. So whether it's someone in another city, look, what we're doing here is not unique. There are <laughs> cities all around the world that are leaders and, and they've created incredible things. Let's go learn from them. So this chief accountability officer by sitting outside of council and sitting outside of admin can be a quick, uh, very rapid assessment before the ideas are investigated by city admin. So they just quickly would come in and say the idea is or the motion is, they would go back, see whether or not anyone else has done that before, whether we have done that before in the past and come back and say, nope, no existing research, Let's proceed then uh, with city admin going and doing their work or no pause, lots of research here that we can just bring forward really simple and then we can make a quick decision. It's also really important that we have that kind of institutional knowledge that sits outside of council because we know right for the next um, election, at least five members of council are going to change. And so we have uh, the potential loss of a whole bunch of institutional knowledge that right now you hear many of the counselors, the veteran counselors, they'll speak up during council and say, oh, we've already done that. Um, we're not going to have that. Um, so this chief accountability officer would be able to do that quick assessment. The biggest outcome or value of this role is money saved, time saved. Think about the cost of those thousands of hours of research that our city employees are off doing. Fair enough. And I guess the one question that comes with me with that, just thinking from a functional standpoint is, would the say hypothetically let's say council makes a decision where we want to start exploring option a um the cao looks at option a and says okay we've looked at this already so let we don't need to do any more we want to do this instead is that decision going to be binding on council or is it going to be something that they can take as advice and be a take it or leave it sort of thing absolutely so the council still had debates the issue. It's just that it we can rely on existing research rather than going and researching it again. So it does not bind counsel to honoring a past decision. It just really brings forward the research, the learning, the data. Okay, that makes sense. So that they act sort of in an advisory capacity as opposed right. to a, okay, okay, yeah, I can see that. Um, the one thing I guess that... Um, someone might come back with is that they think that maybe this is an attempt to increase bureaucracy or increase red tape. Uh, what would you say to someone that maybe comes to you with that? I would say it's the opposite. <laughs> it actually it actually gets at a lot of the, the bureaucracy. This is about having our city um, working on high value work um, has um, has them being able to move much quicker, has them being able to learn from others that have gone before, failed, tried again, um, and, and being able to have the benefit of their learning. So when I think about red tape bureaucracy, that says slow, um, and this does not say slow to me. <laughs> Uh, the reason I ask is because when I was doing a little bit of digging into this, I was trying to see, okay, well, does the CAO and a chief accountability officer exist in other jurisdictions? And I came across a Reddit thread where people are talking about it. I'm just like, it was a mistake to go here, but okay, uh, we'll go with it. <laughs> but yeah, so no, that's 
totally fair. I think that's absolutely fine because the way I see that is the CAO would act as sort of a trigger point to whether or not you would do the research or not. But I think you've touched on that pretty well. So no, that's absolutely fair enough. Uh, one thing I want to talk a little bit about as well is obviously we're a provincial politics podcast. So I'll talk a little bit about the provincial side of things. Um, with the changes to the uh, municipal sustainability initiative and the local government fiscal framework, there's going to be an issue with taxes and the bottom line, essentially, because municipalities are going to be getting less funding. And the bottom line is that municipalities still can't run a deficit. So what do you sort of envision? I mean, obviously, without the benefit of being able to see the tax books right now, what does Edmonton's tax future look like over the next five years or so? I think that we need to control as much of our destiny as we possibly can. And so being in control of as much of our finances that uh, we can use to fund things that are critically important, like infrastructure and operations uh, of infrastructure. So I think that this is really about having us discover new sources of revenue, new partnerships uh, where we can leverage funding. Are there ways that we can um, combine forces in, in areas that we used to lead alone or deliver alone? And so I think that the more places that we can assess the assets that we have and view them differently, um, whether we need to own all of the assets that we currently own, I think is, is a good question that anyone should be asking. I know that we've talked and explored other ideas in the past where we could free up community services and community uh, centers, perhaps even to have partnerships with private industry. Um, here's one example that I love our community leagues. There's uh, our community leagues are actually bound uh, by not entering into partnerships with any private businesses. And so they can't really run their business like a business either. Um, they would be so much more effective if they could do that, still serve the community, but bring in other partners to help them do a better job of serving the community or serving in new ways. I know that we've also talked about, I remember when I worked at Edmonton Economic Development Corporation and, and this idea of uh, selling sponsorships to for facilities that the city owns. Um, and so how do we do more of that? So I really think this is assessing our own ability to drive revenue and determining whether there's new sources of revenue uh, that we can find in unique ways. And then again, going back to that chief accountability officer, could they help us? Are there other cities that are doing this around the world that we could learn from? And I think that's the golden question too, because you touched on that revenue point as well. It's not just about how do we cut expenses? How do we bring more dollars in? And I, I think that's going to be one of the biggest things when it comes to the campaign, simply because, yeah, tax dollars and revenue is always a very big thing. But what do we do to make sure that we don't feel the impact as much as we have or potentially could? I guess that's the high level way of putting that. <laughs> Well, here's the benefit that I'm going to bring is that I am not stuck in bias or the old way of doing things. So I am going to always ask, why aren't we doing this? Why can't we do that? What if we did it this way? And so I'm really excited to be able to offer that value. Um, I'll share a story. Uh, when I was at Intuit, we used to have leadership conferences every year. And every year we would bring in someone that we could learn from, something that would help, that we 
we could apply day to day and really test for that whole year to see how it would have an impact on our business. And one year we brought in an improvisation group and they taught us this practice of yes and. And I still use it today. And it's something that I think is so important is let's dream together. Let's, let's start with yes. Whereas in the past, I think we start with, this is the way it has always been. Um, or they, we start with a constrained mindset instead of an open mindset. And so that's really what I'm excited about. Are there new ways for us to do things? You know, here's something else that I'll offer. We uh, have so many incredible startup companies in this city. We have so many unique offerings that they are designing, uh, never thought of before ways to solve problems. Uh, how do we have them sell to our municipality more? Are there things that they can bring and deliver that are much more powerful, local, effective, cost-effective than some of the uh, large corporations right now that we buy from as a municipality? So how can we activate our startup and innovation ecosystem so that they're figuring out ways that they can deliver services for us or even helping us to solve uh, problems in new ways? And kind of touching on that whole idea of let's do something new. Let's go to a little bit of a interesting subject here in Edmonton. That's the gondola. Uh, that one seems to be up in the air. And sorry, I just realized I made a pun accidentally. I apologize. But <laughs> uh, Aaron, this own it. Gonna, Love it. Uh, anybody watching is going to be like, Aaron, you didn't do that by accident. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we'll get right into it. I, I know there's a lot of different viewpoints on this. A lot of people are saying that, I mean, the benefit is, is that this isn't going to be taxpayer dollars going towards the project. So first off, that's already a win. But there are some details in there in which sense, like, yes, it could be a revenue driver for the city in the sense that you have the property taxes coming off of the project. But at the same time, there is that uh, ecological factor that you have to consider with the river Valley, because that's the crown jewel of the city of Edmonton in terms of what we can offer in our green space. So what are your thoughts on that and the delicate balance that we have to meet? Well, I'm, I'm going to answer your question in two parts. Back to that. Yes. And mindset, uh, the idea of the Edmonton project out of which the gondola was born was this idea of Edmontonians as city builders. What ideas do you have for our city? And let's all dream big together. And uh, I remember there were a lot of incredible project ideas that came forward as part of that Edmonton project. And so again, back to, I want to have, I want everyone here to have a yes and mindset and then come forward with their ideas. And so the reason that I have a lot of respect and appreciation for the gondola project is this is about community coming together with an idea. And um, so I hope that we have more of that. I hope that uh, a lot, and this is a complex project for sure. The gondola project out of all the Edmonton projects was the most complicated. Um, I hope that it doesn't deter people from putting up their hand or saying, I have an idea and here's how we'd like to work with the city to bring our idea forward or to reality. I really hope that we show through this that creativity and community created projects are something that we wanna do more of. So let me say all of that about the gondola project. <laughs> 
the um, complexity of the River Valley, I want to go back to what I hear every day when I ask people about what they love about this city or what's most important. And the majority of people say they love the River Valley. They love to use the River Valley. They want to be down in the River Valley walking, uh, rolling, riding, skiing, skating. Um, in order to enable those activities, we know that there is some infrastructure that's required. Look at the accidental beach. What happened with that? Everyone wanted to use it. <laughs> well, the problem with everyone using it is we did need to have some infrastructure down there like garbage cans, um, like washrooms, so that they could use it in a way that then still um, kept kept litter out of the river valley and, and things that shouldn't have been in the river valley out of there. So uh, I don't know the right answer with the gondola and um, some of the impact to the river valley for us to be able to put that infrastructure in, but for us to truly enjoy this incredible natural park system that we have in a respectful way, we do have to have some development within it. Fair enough. And I, I think that's a good way of answering that too, because it seems to be unacceptable for a lot of people to say, I don't know the answer to a lot of things, even though saying I don't know actually shows that you have a better grasp and understanding than perhaps some people might. So no, nothing wrong with that at all. Um, I guess we'll end with this. Uh, give me your 30 second pitch. Why should Edmontonians vote for you? I'm a born and raised Edmontonian. I love this city, but I have had the benefit of visiting a lot of incredible cities around the world. And so I've come back here and I want to use some of the inspiration and incredible things that I've seen to help our city be big, to be better. Uh, this is a great city. It's an incredible city. We have an incredible quality of life here. I think we can be better. Fair enough. Well, Cheryl, thank you very much for coming on. It was an absolute pleasure. Thank you again for the awesome drink. I've been looking forward to trying this one. So selfishly, I'm very excited for that. But otherwise, uh, best of luck of you on the campaign trail. We'll have you on again anytime and we'll, uh, we'll talk to you again, I'm sure. Thanks, Aaron. Cheers. It was a great way to spend a Friday afternoon. Cheers. Bye.